This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Blessing to be here this morning. The uh, singing has been wonderful and thankful for, uh, for all the songs uh, that were led to prepare our minds as we uh, are worshiping God this morning. And uh, at this time, uh, we're going to study an important subject that we find in Matthew chapter 18. It's a very compelling parable that Jesus gives in response to a question that Peter had. You know, he told his disciples to be forgiving, and Peter said, well, Lord, how many times? Seven times? Uh, And of course, that helps us to understand that we as people have a limit uh, when we think about the number of times we ought to forgive someone or how much mercy we should extend to someone. We often put limits on that. And, and we can only take so much, and we, we kind of think of mercy in that regard. We have a limited amount of mercy to give. But Jesus gives a parable to, to Peter. He, his response is 70 times 7, and then he gives him this parable. Um, and so I want to, to look at this compelling parable, make some observations about this passage that might help us appreciate and understand mercy and how important it is for us as disciples of Christ to be merciful. Uh, So we begin in Matthew chapter 18, there in verse 23. So Jesus begins this parable by telling him about a king and some servants, and particularly one who owed him a great deal of money. It says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought to him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. So this certain king starts to take account of his servants, figuring out who owes him how much. And there's one that's found to owe $10,000, but he cannot pay it back. And if if we're looking at the, uh, the amount of debt, that's a lot of debt. One talent alone was a significant amount, but this servant owed 10,000 talents. He can't pay it back. So the king orders for him, his family, all his possessions to be sold in order for payment to be made. Now this to us highlights the seriousness of the situation that we're in. Because when we're looking at, uh, Jesus is using these, um, the terms of money and the servant and this king to relate to this, this principle of how much our sin costs and how much debt we've incurred against this great king. Because he says the kingdom of heaven is likened to this. He's using this to draw similarity to it. So when we look at that, we can understand there is a great weight of sin that is upon us and upon our own selves. And the reason for that sin is on us. It's nobody's fault but our own. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? God has given us a special part in this life as image bearers of His glory. We've been talking about that in the other series that we've been, uh, we've been looking at since the, the dawn of creation. God created humans to be his, in His likeness, be representatives of Him in this world, and to have His holiness. And that's a great gift that He's given us. It's a, it's a great uh, currency, so to speak, if we're to, to connect it back to this parable. He's given us a great deal. And what we often do, like this servant, is go and squander that, and we choose to go and commit sin. And so we build up sin 
and we build up sin, and we build up sin, and we're really squandering the holiness that God has given us for us to, to use. Uh, he's given that for us to multiply and to create more holiness, yet we go and create more unrighteousness for our own selves and, and strap ourselves into much more and more sins, and we're leading ourselves down a path of, of slavery to sin. We're servants of sin, and we become slaves by our own choice. And when we do that, we are rejecting the holiness of God. When we, when we reject it and we follow our own path and our own desires, the, God describes it as despising His Word. We have not appreciated His holiness. We have not taken it seriously. We have not done His commandments, but instead we've despised. In Numbers 15, uh, the Bible describes it this way. In verse 31, uh, for someone who has broken the law of, of Moses, he says, he that despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That soul shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. There is a, a very serious consequence because of sin. But notice the way he describes those who break the commandments. You may not consciously think this, like, oh, I hate God's word, so I'm going to go commit sin. But that's what we're saying, that's what we're communicating when we do uh, when we make the choices to commit sin, we are despising the word of the Lord in breaking His commandment. And the more we do that, the more chains we're putting upon our own selves and becoming more and more the slaves of sin. And the Bible also describes when, when we do this kind of wickedness and we give ourselves over to these pleasures, um, it is, for a lack of a, a, a better way to say it and a, and a, and a more... Uh, diplomatic way to say it, we are prostituting ourselves. We give up God's glory, we give up His holiness in order to take these pleasures of sin on, and we are binding ourselves more and more with these chains. The Bible describes it this way. Uh, when, you, when you talk about Ahab, when we read about Ahab, he was a very wicked king, did very many wicked things at the behest of his wife Jezebel. And notice how it's described, how he's described here in 1 Kings 21-25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. So the Bible is very clear and paints a very clear picture to us. When we choose sin, we're going down this way. We're selling ourselves and we're giving up the holiness of God. And that's exactly what we've done when we commit sin over and over again. We squander what he's given, just like the servant who is misusing this ta these talents, this money that, the, that the, his king has given him, and now he owes more and more so much that he cannot repay. And that's, that's us in the story. We're the servant. And, and uh, the king, of course, is God. And when we take, step back and take account of all that we've done against this king and the debts that we've incurred, we're really, we really have no, no way to pay this. Our own righteousness is worthless. Uh, all we can do is look at ourselves and, and understand this. This is the reality. This is the weight of sin. This is what we brought upon ourselves. Isaiah 64, verse 6, We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And all we do, uh, and, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. When we're led about by our own iniquities, this is the reality. We're making ourselves more and more ugly and worthless in the sight of God. Have you ever used a rag to clean up a mess that was so bad that you just decided this, this rag is hopeless and just throw it away? We've done that. We've had to clean up with, uh, with you know, three kids. That's happened several times. 
<laughs> it's just so dirty, you just toss it out. It's not worth the trouble. And honestly, that's how we are. We're really not worth the trouble because we commit so many sins against God and we incur such a great debt. Job, Job got to, uh, or what we see, rather, we get to see Job's response as God confronts him. And, and Job was a righteous man. The Bible says, I think there's at least two passages or two verses that say, you know, that even if Job and Daniel and, and, uh, and Noah were still alive in the earth, they wouldn't be able to be spared. So it's talking about how righteous they were, or maybe even only they would be. But they were very righteous people. But even Job, when he was confronted in the presence of God, standing before the king, and in his holy presence, all Job could stand to do and say was, I abhor myself. I hate myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. And that's how we would feel, and we will feel, feel when we stand in the presence of the holy God, compared to our unrighteousness and our filthiness and all the sins that we incur and the slavery we put ourselves into and the choices we make, we're just racking up debt after debt after debt against this holy God. And the sad reality that we need to know is that we can never repay. Just like the servant in this story, he has nothing to pay for and pay with when it's time to, to reckon and give account and to reconcile this. Uh, if you look at the currency of talents, 10,000 talents, Let's, to put it in perspective, if we were to go, now, I, I tried to calculate this uh, at the time when I made this lesson, and it's actually been a couple years, so it may actually be more, it may be a little less, but still, it's an astronomical amount if we were to calculate it to our currency today. If, we, if it was 10,000 talents of gold, this servant would owe his uh, king $14 billion dollars. So we're not talking about small amounts of debt here. We're talking about huge amounts of debt that this servant owes. And even if, if it were silver, it'd be $200 million, uh, by silver prices. So that's a lot of money, and you, you would have to be repaying for generations. Um, and there's just no way. There's just no way you, you would ever be able to pay that back. And that's what this servant had to realize. When the king gives account, he says, okay, time to pay up. The debt is due, and the king has, this servant has nothing. And that's what we need to realize. We have nothing. There's nothing we can do to stand before God and be justified in our unrighteousness. And, and to, to have any claim of, of uh, expectation for God to, to uh, just count us as, as righteous. We have no boast. I think that talks about that in, in Romans when it talks about Abraham. He has no righteousness to boast of or else God would owe us something. He would owe us salvation if we could claim that we were so great that we had no sins, but we can't. Uh, there's a few passages in Psalms that make this very clear. In Psalm 130, verse 3, the, the Psalter asks, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And that makes it very clear to us. No one. If God were to start tallying up all the sins that you've committed against Him, there would be no person that could be able to, to withstand that and to stand justified in the presence of God. In Psalm 143, verse 2, we read, For uh, enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no living man be justified. He's pleading here, please don't, don't enter into judgment, don't bring me into reckoning, because there's no living person who will be justified in the sight of God. We cannot be. 
And this sin that we've incurred on ourselves is like this giant weight of $14 billion that we owe to, to a king that we have nothing, we have no way of paying this. Psalm 38 uh, says, Mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. And that's exactly what sin is in our lives when we incur this debt against this king. It's, it's such a heavy load. We cannot bear it and we are being crushed underneath it. In Psalm 40, verse 12, we get more descriptions about this weight of sin. He says, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. This is how, how David felt. All of my sins, there are so much, there are way more than the hairs of my head, and it weighs me down, and I cannot look up. And I think that's, if, if we are honest about ourselves and our sins, that's all we can do, is look down in shame because the weight is so heavy. We can't even look up to God. And it's embarrassing, and it's painful, and it hurts, and we know that we have these problems in our lives, and there's just nothing we can do to redeem ourselves. No amount of money you could ever pay God for Him to wash away your sins. Psalms 49, 6-7, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give, a God, give to God a ransom for him. Money won't do, and there's no physical asset or thing we can provide to God in order to make this right and to, to pay for the sins that we've committed. We are completely and utterly helpless in regards to our sins, just like this servant. He's totally at the mercy of this king. And so the king begins to give the servant what he deserves. You've incurred all this debt. He's in an agreement with this king. It's time for you to be sold and your wife and your children and all that you have so that some payment can be made. And, and truly, when we look at the, the weight and the reality of sin, how worthless we are, how guilty we are of committing acts of evil against God and despising His Word and selling ourselves into this way of life, what we deserve is death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. That's what we'll gain from, from that life, and that's truly what sin deserves. And there is a day of reckoning coming like this servant. That's something we need to be very aware of and awake about. Don't have your eyes closed. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend like, you know, some things that, there's some things we don't want to think about, and we act like if we ignore it, it's not going to happen, or we don't have to deal with it. We need to be alert and intentional about dealing with this reality. There is a day of reckoning coming, just like for that servant. And then payment will have to be made. Second Peter 3, 7, The heavens and earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's a time where all the ungodliness will have to be accounted for, and payment will be made. And the only payment that God will accept or the, or the punishment that God will inflict, rather, because we cannot make payment, is eternal damnation. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a, it's a heavy reality. It's a harsh reality. We may not talk about this reality enough, and maybe, maybe people don't think about this enough, but it's the truth. And, and it would be... 
uh, a shame for us not to look at the, at the information that God has given us and shake ourselves awake and to this really harsh reality. There's nothing we can do. And there's no hope of us paying it back. And so this servant begs, and he falls before his king, as we see what happens next in Matthew 18, verse 26 and 27. He's starting to be taken, his family, his wife, and his children, so that payment can be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. The servant begs and pleads with this king. And this king is so moved with compassion for this servant, he says, let him go. And not even that. It wasn't just let him go. The debt is cleared. He, he forgave this incredible amount of debt that this servant owed. And so in that moment, that servant went from owing 10,000 talents, an unpayable debt, to owing zero. Can you imagine the relief that servant must have felt? He's free and clear now. And that's a picture to us of, of the incredible king that we have. We are this servant who could do nothing, but God's mercy is the one who takes care of the penalty on our behalf. And in fact, the Bible describes God as a God that is ready to forgive. He wants to. He wants you to come to Him and humble yourself, fall down before Him and worship and so that He can repay, so He can cover this debt and pay it for you. Psalm 86, 3-5, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry unto Thee daily. Rejoice the soul of Thy servant, for unto Thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. What a wonderful description we get of God. You know, because we could, we could have stopped there from the first part of that story, and a lot of people do. And I think a lot of people have this picture in their mind about God being this vengeful tyrant who just wants to exact punishment and destroy all these wicked people and send them into eternal hellfire. That's not the God that we serve. The people who have to go into eternal hellfire have chosen that path for themselves. You've chosen that for, for your own self. You send, we, the truth is we send ourselves to hell. God doesn't send anyone there. We've decided that for ourselves. But the true God that is depicted in the scriptures is not the way people want to paint him as this tyrant. In fact, he is the most humble, he is the most kind, and the most merciful God and, and being ever. And the way this description is, he's ready to forgive. He has plenty of mercy. He has way more mercy to all those that will call upon him. But it requires us being humble and coming to him. Who else can, can we go to and turn to who, who will treat us this way and be so merciful to us? Who else can grant us pardon for all of the sin and, that we've incurred against God and the debt that we owe? Micah chapter 7, verse 18 says, Who is a God like to thee? Who else? Who else is like our God who pardons iniquity, who passes by the transgression of the remnants of his heritage? He that retaineth not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. 
That's the God that we serve, a God that delights in showing mercy and compassion on people and forgiving them. That's what makes him happy. That's what he loves. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, it says in, in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, but that they should turn from their evil ways. That's what God is delighted in, and he is delighted in extending mercy to others. And that's what our wonderful King, our God, has done. He extends to us mercy instead of what we deserved, which is death and eternal punishment. Instead, He gives us mercy. Psalm 103, verse 8 through 13, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Can you imagine if He did? You know, a lot of people live life thinking that, oh, I did this sin, so this bad thing happened to me. Sometimes that's true. There's consequences to our, our foolishness. We commit a sin, and there's going to be reaction, or there's going to be consequences that come from that and flow from that. But can you imagine if God was a God that dealt with us after our own sins? As soon as we did something, we got the exact same exacted upon us. We would have been dead a long time ago. But He's not a God that deals with us after our sins, nor rewards us according to our own iniquities. For as the heavens is as high above the earth, think about the distance between the, the earth and the sky. If we could measure the end of that. So great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. That's how much mercy God has. For as far as the east is from the west, so has He removed our sins and our transgressions from us. So when God grants mercy and God grants forgiveness and God gives you pardon, those are far removed from you. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth him that fear him. He's a tender-hearted, mercy, loving and kind God who takes pity on his children. And, and as a father, I can understand that. Sometimes you see your kids too, just things that make you scratch your head and you sometimes beat your head against the wall wondering why, why don't you stop doing that? It's frustrating. But you see that they're learning. You see that they're growing. You see that they just don't know any better. And, and it's moving to think of God looking at us that way. The more dumb things we do, he looks at us and just has pity on us and, and mercy towards us. He's ready to forgive, and He is a God of mercy. That's what the Bible describes. And because He is the God of mercy, He looks at all this sin that we owed Him. He has great compassion upon us. And He says, you're free. And the debt has been paid. When we had nothing to pay with, he paid it himself. Romans chapter 5 or 6, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ offers to God what we could not pay. God pays this, this sin him, on his, he puts this sin on his own self. All the weight of the debt of sin that we owed and the death that we deserved, Christ takes it upon himself and he offers his own self in our place. And because of that, we have no claim 
to, to when, when we are in Christ and we are forgiven and we experience God's mercy and His compassion, we have no reason to boast of that or have any right to lift ourselves up in pride and think we're so special or we're so great or better than anybody else. Because the truth is, it's not even our own actions that saved us. It's the actions of another man who laid his life down for us. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not works of righteousness, which we have done. We haven't done anything. We didn't even deserve mercy. But Christ gave his life anyway. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. God gives us a way to experience his forgiveness and his love and, and his mercy a tangible way for us to know and understand that we have been cleansed and forgiven, and that is by being baptized into Christ. And when we do that, that's the washing of regeneration that takes place, the renewing of the Holy the Spirit that, that we are reborn into. And we're redeemed by this. And to, to redeem and to be uh, redeemed by His sacrifice means that the debt was paid on our behalf. We have been purchased because He's, he's come and paid this debt. First Peter 1 18 through 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, there's no earthly material that could pay for this, the sin that we owed. And so we're not redeemed by silver and gold, monetary things, from our vain conversation received by tradition of our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus steps in and gives something that far exceeds the, the value of any monetary thing, and gives His own blood to pay for our sins. And it is perfect, and it is pure, and it breaks the bond of sin upon us. It sets us free, and it helps us to live in a new conscience, with a new cleansed conscience to serve no longer dead works, our vain conversation, our vain conduct of life, but now to serve the living God. And it's His blood that gives us this, this cleansing and this mercy and this forgiveness Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And that's the same as the, the servant experienced this forgiveness of his debt. We receive the forgiveness of our debt. And imagine that great sense of relief that the servant had from owing 10,000 talents to owing zero. And that's exactly what happens to us when we are baptized into Christ. And we access this mercy that God has, has given to us. We go from owing an insurmountable amount of sins and death as a penalty to owing nothing and instead being set free and being given life. What a great blessing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, where in time past you walked, this sums it up so beautifully, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We, we sold ourselves into that slavery, and we continue to sell ourselves, and we give away God's holiness, and we incur the sin after sin after sin after sin, and we were living like everybody else, sinfully in the world. But... God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, we were a worthless rag that was all, all we were worth was throwing away. And maybe not even the energy it takes to toss it into the trash can. When we were dead in sins, He cleansed us. He cleaned us and made us pure. He quickened us. He made us alive again together with Christ. That's the process of baptism. 
When you're baptized into Christ, He cleanses and washes you with His blood, and you are resurrected with Christ. This is the grace by which we have been saved. And how amazing and how wonderful is that? Nothing could satisfy the debt we owed because of our sins, save only the precious, spotless blood of the Lamb of God. It's the only thing that would do. And He gave that freely. And we have such, we should have such a sense of relief knowing that we're not guilty anymore. We're freed. We don't have to pay because Jesus has paid it. And now we live in Christ trying to continue to live holy lives and we have a constant access to this kind of mercy and cleansing in our lives. We're going to fail and we're going to make mistakes. We're, we're silly children. They do foolish things. But God's mercy is continual. If we humble ourselves and go to Him, He will forgive and we can count on it and we can live in confidence in that. What a great blessing we have as, as the children of God. I hope we can see that and appreciate that. We went from owing $14 billion to $0. And that, that kind of experience should change our life. It is life-changing. You might think of a time where you paid off uh, your own debts. It's good to work through paying off debts. Maybe you've paid off a credit card or a car payment or a house payment. And you, you've cleared it and how freeing it is and how great you feel. It, it changes your life. It's wonderful. That's how it is to be forgiven of sins. It's such a relief. It's so great. And you would think that this servant would go out and be so compelled by this great act of mercy and that everyone would have heard about, all the other servants of that king would have heard. Did you hear how great and merciful that king was to this guy? Now he owes nothing, and that servant would be so joyful and rejoicing, and he, would, he should be running in the streets praising the name of this king and telling everyone how wonderful he is and how thankful he is, how grateful he is, and, and experiencing that kind of mercy should compel him to give that kind of mercy to other people. You would think that's the, that's the ideal. But this servant doesn't do that. The story takes a turn for the worst. Matthew 18, 28-35. So this guy's free, just got cleared of this 10,000 talents. Now he owes zero talents. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. That's pennies compared to what he owed. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. The exact same words that he said to his king. And he would not. Didn't care about that. But he went and cast the servant into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord, unto their Lord, all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said to him, O oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee 
all that debt because you desired, desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him unto the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. This is where it starts getting real, even more real. Because we can understand that God is a God of mercy. We can understand we've received forgiveness of our sins, and it's such a great relief, and it's such a great joy. And you would think that it would cause us to be the kind of people who are so willing to, and ready to, to take on the attitude of our Father and be merciful and be ready to forgive. Yet often we're like the servant and we don't. We, we go to our, to our fellow servants and we don't. Our brothers and sisters in Christ and even fellow man and don't reflect the mercy of God. Because we ought to have, because our debts have been paid, we ought to have the same kind of love for each other and the same willingness and the readiness to show people the love that God has extended to us. 1 John 3 verse 10, In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. This is how you can tell the people apart. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So a person who is showing and exhibiting the love of his uh, brethren in Christ is showing that he is a child of God. He goes on in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That is a sure sign that you have passed from life to death if you have the same kind of love that God has shown you. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and see his brother have need, and shutteth up, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How is it that the love of God can dwell in us if we see the needs that our brothers and sisters have, and we shut up our compassion against them, and, and don't love them, and don't help them, and don't care for them? It can't, is what John is saying. And if we hate our brethren... The love of God does not abide in us, and that's often what we do. We shut up our compassion against brothers and sisters, people who maybe have done something wrong against us, which is pennies compared to what we've done against God, and we demand, that we, we demand justice. We demand that you come and, and ask for my forgiveness. I demand that you give me retribution because you've done me wrong. And that's the attitude we take, just like the servant, going and taking somebody by the throat and saying, you better pay me back. And when they, when they say, please forgive me, we withhold that and say, no. I'm going to hold the grudge. I'm going to be angry with you from now and until, until the day I die. And you know what? Relationships fracture. Churches split. Families are torn apart. The consequences of, of withholding people, forgiveness from people are, are very real and very severe. And you know, often we take this mindset of, you know what, I'm going to forgive only the people that deserve it. The people that come and fall before me and they beg and they plead. But that's not the attitude we ought to have. We ought to be merciful people to people even that we think don't deserve it. Luke chapter 6, 35 
Jesus, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good and lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your father, father is also merciful. Okay, how do we extend the mercy of God and show and reflect the mercy of God? This is just like the commandment that we have. Be holy as your Father is holy. God wants us to be like Him. And we, if we want to be like the Father, we need to be kind, even to people that are unthankful. You might go out of your way to do something nice for somebody, and all they can do is nitpick and complain and put you down and tell you how terrible of a job you did. God is, thankful, is, is good to even the people who are unthankful towards Him. God is kind even to people who hate Him. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. He gives the blessing of rain. He gives the blessing of harvest. He, he gives people the blessing of being able to provide for their own families, to take care of themselves, to have transportation, to have shelter, to have protection, to have enjoyment in their life. He gives all those great blessings to everyone. Regardless. And he gives, hoping for nothing again. Therefore, be ye merciful. Don't look at people and say, you know what? I'm not going to forgive them and, unless they come crawling back and beg for my forgiveness. That's the, that's the mentality we might take sometimes. And that is not the attitude of God. Even if somebody does you wrong, even if you are in the right and somebody has hurt you, be the kind of person who's going to extend mercy. Jesus was dying on a cross, bleeding out with his last gasps of, of air. The words he muttered was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. These people that were murdering him. If anyone had a right to look at these people and say, they don't deserve my forgiveness, it was Jesus. But that's not what he said. He said, forgive them. That's the kind of attitude and heart we need to have. It doesn't matter if you think somebody has done you wrong. Humble yourself and just be merciful and be kind and long-suffering and patient with them. Give up your own pride. Give up your own right. And forgive. You're like, well, they didn't ask for His forgiveness. Well, Jesus was looking at them and they didn't ask for His forgiveness. They were asking for His death and He forgave them anyway. Colossians chapter 3, 12-13, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. We are the elect of God. If we've been baptized into Jesus Christ, we are His chosen people and we should put on holiness. We should, as His holy and beloved people, put on the bowels of mercy. Be ready to forgive. Be plenteous in mercy. Be excited when, somebody, when there's an opportunity to extend mercy to somebody. Delight in that. Delight in kindness, in humbleness of mind, in meekness, in long-suffering means you're going to put up with a lot. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to put that into perspective, but you know the sin that we commit, think about it this way, the sin we commit against God is far too great for us to repay. And so realizing the weight of our sins... You know, we call on God for mercy and we expect to be forgiven and, and He is merciful to us. 
But sometimes the sins that our brethren may commit to us, uh, against us, which happens, but when you compare it, they're nothing compared to what we do against God. And we want to get even and make somebody pay. And somebody might, oh, they didn't say hi to me, so I'm, I'm going to be rude to them for, you know, for the next time. I'm not going to say hi to them. We might act that way. Those are small ways. But for those small things, we cause rifts and we cause pain and we demand uh, justice and, and we demand to be uh, helped, uh, for that to be corrected, rather. But instead, be like Christ and freely forgive, even if you don't think that they deserve it. You know, what if God, think about it this way, for the sins that we owed, what if God treated us the same way? And withheld His mercy and said, He didn't ask for it. I'm not going to give them any mercy. I'm going to make Him pay for what He's done. I'm going to get even with Him or her for doing this sin. Remember what, what we read in the Psalms. If God were to treat us according to our own sins and deal with us according to our own iniquities, but He doesn't do that. But imagine if He did then there would be no way for us ever to be forgiven and to be freed. He might say, yeah, you're forgiven, but he's always going to hang on to that and cling on to that. And he's never really forgiven. Don't be like that, but instead be like Christ. Be totally forgiving. When you tell somebody they're forgiven, don't bring it up. Don't throw it in their face. Don't let it be this thing that gnaws at you in your mind. If there's something that gnaws at you and you keep holding on to it, there may be more that you need to talk about with that person and to clear the air so that you can let it go. But be forgiving and put their transgression away from them as far as the east is to the west. Don't bring it back up and don't, don't hold it in their face and don't throw it in their face. Don't use it as a club to get your way and to help and to make, uh, make them feel put down so that you can feel superior, you can feel like you're getting revenge against them or, or able to, to uh, get what you think is rightfully owed to you. Don't do that. Be like Christ and forgive. And just the same way Christ forgave you, totally do the same for each other. That's what we need to do. If we want to be a good, thriving model of the elect and holy, beloved people of God, that's the kind of attitude we should take on. And ultimately, if we want mercy from God, just like we learned from this parable, this servant turned around and he attacked another servant and said, pay me what you owe. And the servant said, please be patient with me and I'll pay you. And he said, nope, I'm going to throw you into prison until, until payment is made. And when the king heard about that, it didn't go so well for that servant. The king put back all, those, all that debt he had forgiven and sent him to the tormentors. And so now he's culpable again and responsible for all the sin that he was forgiven of originally. So think about that. God does forget our sins and he removes them from us as far as the east is from the west. But if we really want to be freed from those and not expect to pay for those sins, we need to, to give mercy the way the king has given mercy to us. Matthew chapter 6, 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will, will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you want all those sins recounted to you and brought up and, you, and the payment that Christ made to be removed so that now all the payment is back on you, then be an unmerciful person. Be an unforgiving person. Hold those grudges 
treat people, uh, don't treat people well, don't give people the same mercy that you expect from God. And we will exactly experience what this servant experienced at the hand of this king and have all our sins back upon us. If you want the kind of mercy that God extends because He is the God of mercy and He is the God of, of kindness and grace and He is ready to forgive, be the kind of person who takes that mindset on truly and be the kind of person who's ready to forgive. James chapter 2.13 For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. I hope that uh, examining this parable helps to put things in perspective for us and gives us encouragement to take on this attitude and this quality of mercy. It is beautiful and it is wonderful when we have been freed from our sins and we should go and multiply that experience, giving other people that same love and that same benefit of forgiving them, bringing peace, bringing reconciliation, because ultimately that's what it means to be merciful like God is, mercy, uh, is merciful. Be the children of our Father, which is in heaven. Maybe you have some sins, as you, we talked about the forgiveness that Christ gives us. Maybe you need that. Maybe you have sins that you haven't repented of or you haven't dealt with. Don't be afraid to, to ask for our help in praying with you and studying with you. And don't be afraid to ask God's help because He is ready to forgive. If you need forgiveness, He's ready and wants to forgive. If you'll humble yourself, worship Him, and He will uh, grant you forgiveness. If you're a Christian, he'll, he'll forgive you by the continual cleansing of Christ that you've received when you were baptized into Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, of course, the baptism is the way for us to uh, receive that access to that great gift and be cleansed and be, live life anew and resurrected with Him and to start that off. Be freed from your sins. And then go and free others from theirs that they've committed against you. Uh, I hope the lesson has been encouraging to you. If you uh, have a need, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.